and welcome to the 35th episode of Catch Up on Kids Mental Health. I'm Janet Morrison. Today's topic is parent coaching, and my guest is Ulrika Job, an educator, counselor, and workshop facilitator who has lots of experience with parents, children, families, and teachers. Ulrika is the founder of True Compass, an organization with a mission to support social-emotional learning and provide family coaching and counseling services. She's also the parent coach on staff with the Giving Tree Center, a counseling center in Toronto. Welcome, Ulrika. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much for having me. I guess the reasonable and logical place to start is to ask you what is meant by parent coaching? What exactly is that? Absolutely. A great place to start. Um, So essentially what parent coaching is, uh, is essentially the opportunity for parents um, to have somebody like a person um, to talk to, to bat around ideas, uh, discuss challenges that they're having with their kids. Um, And a big part of it is also taking that journey a little bit of self-reflection. We have all been kids once, and a big part of how we currently parent is influenced largely by how we were parented. So it's taking sort of a deeper dive into taking, I guess, a walk into the past uh, and and having an opportunity to discuss some of the things that you felt went really well um, as a child, as well as some of the challenges that you had. Uh, A lot of the parents that I work with, you know, work with these challenges, Uh, with regards to sometimes it's a matter of learning how to communicate better with their child. Uh, Sometimes it's a matter of dealing with a specific challenge, like their child has anxiety and learning how to support that. Uh, The reason that parent coaching is really important is because there's no handbook for this. There's absolutely no one way, the one size fits all. So it's really nice to be able to have a one-on-one, to be able to look at sort of the specific challenges that a parent is having and be able to find that support. That all makes a great deal of sense. Of course, we always think that uh, somehow parenting is going to be instinctive and it's, uh, of course, it, it isn't. Uh, or it can be instinctive, but in very negative and, and and bad ways, reminiscent of our own childhoods. You mentioned anxiety, but are there other particular concerns that parents have with respect to their children, types of problems that they tend to come to you with? Absolutely. I, I mean, a lot of the times, too, that parents come um, with more of the idea that they want to find a support for their kids. And I think that's really important to touch on because a lot of the times what it is that in the opportunity to connect with a counselor or a therapist or someone for the parents or a parent coach is because then I'm able to instill these tools for the parent. Um, they can then go ahead and support their child ongoing. So it's not sometimes therapists sort of come and go. But now these parents have these lifelong skills that they can use with their kids. And so some of the things, so in addition to anxiety, the big part is sort of, it's not looking at, you know, what to to do, but it's more about the how to do it. A lot of us know what we are supposed to do as parents, but we haven't taken the time to learn how to do it. So for example, Empathy plays a huge role when you say, you know, what are some of the challenges? Learning how to see the world through your child's eyes is one of the most important things that I talk to about my with my clients. Uh, It is so critically important because when a child feels like they are seen and heard, they instantly feel that connection. And at the root of everything that I do, the love and connection piece is the most important because if you don't have that relationship with your child and the ability to truly connect with them, then a lot of this other stuff becomes an even bigger challenge. So kids really do want to feel like they are seen and heard. And a lot of times 
because there's triggers, because there's frustrations, you know, especially during the teenage years when kids kind of pull back a little bit, um, there's an opportunity for ki- for parents to really dig deeper and, and drive that connection and make sure that their kids feel loved so that they are a place, parents are a place that kids can go to for security, to feel loved, to know that no matter what, their parents have their back. And that's another part of what um, is important about parent coaching is kind of the idea. That's why I love the, you know, the the word coaching. It's almost like if you think about it, like on an athletic team, oftentimes it feels very adversarial between parents and kids. It's about control. It's about power struggles and battles. And a lot of the times what the kids need to feel is that the parents are on their side. They're actually doing this because they're on the same team. And but sometimes it comes across as very do this, do that. And all of a sudden, and so kids get very overwhelmed and they feel like their parent, they can do nothing right in their parents' eyes. So it's about really learning how to communicate Um, The other big part of what we talk about is on the flip side, learning how to set limits and consequences. Usually parents are very, very good at doing one or the other. They're pretty good at the, the love and connection piece, or they're good at setting the limit and consequence. And then sometimes that one of the other ones is a struggle. So for example, personally for me, I'm very good at the deep love and connection. And sometimes I have a hard time following through with the consequence because I don't want my kid to miss out. And so it's really about learning the balance of all of these things. I, I, oh, that makes a great deal of sense. I'm wondering for parents, is it difficult for them to go back and recall aspects of their own childhood, particularly when they're painful or, or cause them a lot of stress and they're trying to kind of move in a different direction? Is that, is that something that, that is, is difficult for them? Absolutely. And I think even if you've had a really great upbringing, there's always something. Um, the, the part that is really important to remember for parents is that when you are aware, instantly when you take the time to reflect, to stop and be aware of some of the things, the habits maybe that you've picked up, because as kids, we do a lot of what our parents do. We mimic. Um, and some things are very unconscious that we do. So some parents will swing kind of to the opposite. Let's say if they were had really super strict parents growing up, they swing the pendulum to the other side and they become super permissive and vice versa. And so when you are aware of these things, you can immediately um, start behaving in a way that is responding to your kid rather than just reacting. And that is really, really empowering. And so even though it may be deeply painful at certain times to go back and to think about some of these things, oftentimes we don't have the time, you know, we're just kind of getting through day to day, but spending that bit of time to reflect um, really kind of helps you move forward. Um, Because sometimes what we're doing is also, you know, letting, we're not letting go of the past, we're kind of stuck in the past, and we're rooted in the past. And it's really impossible to move into the future when you're really deeply rooted in the past. And what happens when each of the parents is deeply rooted in different pasts? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets very tricky. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's very interesting. A lot of times parents and especially when they come um, as a couple, because sometimes there's one parent that comes, uh, but sometimes it's both. Uh, and sometimes one parent comes very willingly and the other one comes very reluctantly. Uh, and usually, I mean, really what's important is the relationship you end up having with your therapist or your counselor and the ability to feel safe and being able to talk about that. A lot of the times the parents will come if there's two and they'll say, we just want to get on the same page. I hear that all the time. We want to get on the same page where we parent very differently because that is often the case. 
And I would argue that you don't need to parent from the same page. You you should be parenting generally from maybe the same book, but you don't need to. It's actually really cool when you see parents who have very different styles and that can work to your advantage because it can be very complimentary. Um, it goes kind of beyond the good cop, bad cop scenario, but it really, it can, when parents learn how to communicate with each other and able to kind of capitalize on their strengths, learn to walk away when it's like, hey, I need to tap out right now. I'm feeling myself getting really frustrated. I need you to take over. These are really, really great things, not only for the kids, but also for a couple's relationship and learning how to communicate better. Well, and of course, we we forget that, you know, children have relationships with all kinds of different people, and none of them are the same. There are different expectations that teachers have. One teacher has from another teacher. Grandmother has one set of expectations. Other grandmother has another. Uh, you know, parents uh, are people, and children, I think, understand that. They're not, they're not machines, and I think very small children understand that, uh, as you say. So I'd like you to dig a little deeper about the relationship aspect. I mean, when when parents are in conflict, when they're, as you say, not, not a question of the same page, but when they're not in the same book or when they're experiencing a lot of marital conflict, obviously the kids pick that up. And I'm just wondering, is is marriage counseling a part of this package? I, I didn't realize that as much as it was when I first started this work. Um, I didn't realize how intricate it all was. I should have realized it, but I didn't. And really, they're kind of all part and parcel. I mean, I see parents who are very, you know, solid and they've been together a long time. Um, they get along really well. They complement each other really well. And to alter the extreme of where parents maybe are separating or getting a divorce, and they're trying to learn how to co-parent from different homes co-parent by being respectful to each other and not having these big blowout fights in front of their kids, because obviously that adds a lot of stress um, to an already stressful situation. Um, so this is one of these areas that, you know, I didn't realize it was such a big part of it, but it absolutely is. And, but it can kind of be boiled down to a simple concept, which is really the ability to communicate with each other. So, you know, it's a relationship like anything else. And if you have one kid, you know, there's three different relationships at work. And as you add more kids, there becomes more di dyads and dynamics at play. Um, siblings obviously can change things a little bit as well. And when you have more than one. And so in this regard, with regards to marriage counseling, it does sort of play into it because parents are learning. They're usually coming pretty willingly to parent coaching. As I said, sometimes one comes reluctantly, but it really then comes down to learning how to communicate with one another learning how to be respectful of opinions that might be different and really deeply looking at the value that each one brings because every single parent has strengths and everyone has challenges. So how do you support the other person um, in these situations where you know it's not necessarily their forte? You know, when can you see, when you listen to your spouse as an example, I know that there's been times where I start escalating and my husband's like, tap out, Ulrika. And I'm like, no, and then I just want to <laughs> go on. And I just want to keep going and, and learning to read yourself and listening to your partner and being like, okay, they're clearly seeing that I need to step back. So it really kind of comes down again to like a communication and a relationship that you're trying to nurture and learn from and support one another. Yeah, I think I think a lot of parents, you know, we we kind of have this idea that children bring people together, and uh, it's really a, a a very mistaken notion. Children are very wonderful, but they cause a lot of tension and stress, and they take an enormous amount of time and energy 
And they're very challenging in, in terms of who we are and what we bring to the table. So I think it, it it's important, uh, you know, as you're saying, that the, the big picture here is, is kind of learning to accept one another, learning to accept the child, learning to be respectful of, of different ways of, of, of going about disciplining, parenting, communicating, negotiating. And so I'm curious about the, the, the complexities that, that you deal with when you're dealing with parents who have already decided to separate, when they're in the process of separating or divorcing. Is it, are the rules the same or are they quite different in terms of the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I would say across the board, the idea, I, I think of what I'll use is sort of the word of conscious parenting, because some of your listeners will may, may be aware of this term and, and know it. And for some who aren't, um, it sort of it distills it down. So it's really about learning how to be present, aware, reflective. And sort of looking in a situation, especially in these situations where um, there is a separation or a divorce going on, they're trying to manage, there's, you know, finances become stressful, everything becomes stressful. And so learning how to then know and understand that the common goal is to support the kids and that that is the common, that's every single time. That's very helpful for parents because there's so many other things that they might be conflicted about, especially in these very high conflict situations. But the one thing that they have in common is the desire to support their kids and to do right by their kids and to to actually be parents that in both situations that their kids can go to. So when they're operating from that common goal, it it helps to alleviate some of that tension, even if they're disagreeing on a lot of different things. So the principles are very much the same. Um, you know, the empathy piece is the same, the ability to connect, it becomes even more important. I mean, I would say that in these situations, and it, it's not necessarily even with separation or divorce, even if there's a situation where parents are together and there's high conflict within the home, you know, learning how to better communicate and have these situations sort of resolve themselves through the ability that they're willing to do the work. That is always the one thing that I say to my clients over and over again. You know, the sessions that they have with me are supposed to be fun. I like to think of them as fun. Um, they're supposed to be something they look forward to, not an added stress, but the hard work comes between the sessions. It's like physiotherapy. If you don't do the exercises they um, talk about in between, it becomes, you're, you're not going to heal as quickly. So it's about being willing to look at yourself and be willing to do the work and make sure you have the bandwidth in that moment to actually pursue the work uh, and do the hard work in between the sessions and actually being able to apply them on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, that makes sense. You got to do your homework to reinforce the learning. <laughs> exactly. I that's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Do the homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do your homework. Yeah. Now, what, are there situations or is it commonplace for you to meet the children or is that atypical? Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, that happens. Usually what I always like to do is start with the parents. Um, because I think I mentioned this earlier is that, you know, when you are able, a lot of the stuff that we do through sort of the conscious parenting model and the connected parenting model is, is providing the tools so they have the how-to. It's not just what to do or what not to do because parents often, they get these, you know, the internet's full of resources and it's a lot of do this, don't do that. And so this is really about the how-to. And so when the parents are employed with these tools, because they're there for the, they're there for the duration, right? So it's really helpful um, if the parents are involved and the parents are the ones delivering this and being the ones that are in, in essence, the support for the child. 
However, having said that, a lot of the times through when I've been starting with the parents, there might be a couple of issues that are bubbling up for the kids and they want to see me as well. So for an example, I do a lot of work with kids around social emotional learning. And I've said this before where, you know, kids are in school, they're learning academics, they're learning how to read, how to write, how to do math, geography, history, etc. There isn't a class on how to be human. And so a lot of the times what I end up spending time with the kids on is we work through what it feels like to have emotions because we all have them. We are going to experience the full rainbow of emotions right across the board. And it's not about taking them and not feeling them. Sometimes kids will come to me and they'll say, can you help me to not feel this way? And it's really about embracing all emotions and learning how to manage them, how to regulate them, how to embrace them, and then making proper choices as to that's in line with their values and their morals. So for example, if you're angry, do you haul off and punch the wall or do you express your anger in a way that's um, going to be conducive to them moving on and that you feel proud of, that you were able to embrace that emotion and then feel what you felt and behave in a way that's in alignment with that. So a lot of the times that's what I end up doing the work with the kids. And I mean, it's such a gift. I I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, parents and families, they're just like, I wish I had had that. And I, I'm one of those as well. You know, I mean, we don't get a class on this. So it's really neat um, to be able to do these, you know, workshops and, and work one-on-one with kids to help them learn how to manage. In particular, probably the number one thing is anxiety and stress. My youngest client is five and my oldest is 75. So I say, it's like, you're never too young and you're never too old um, mm-hmm. to learn how to be human, you know, because it's it's a difficult journey and we're all in different situations at any given time where we're going to have to tap into that. Okay. Well, that that that's very helpful. I'm thinking about these children who you're coaching and who are uh, learning a, a new language, learning to regulate themselves, as you say, learning to manage the difficult emotions that they have rather than ignoring them or suppressing them. Do you think that this sometimes, I mean, children who have difficulty with this, presumably have parents who have difficulty with this. So it's really the whole the whole family that needs to kind of learn this this piece. I would imagine that working with children in that way when you're not working with the parents would create some 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 conflicts and some some some, some difficulties when children become very uh, articulate about their needs and their wishes and their 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 thoughts that 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 could be pretty challenging in and of itself for a lot of parents. Or oh, even parents who are extraordinarily <laughs> well versed in such things. I mean, there are books written about this where, you know, there's a whole shelf, you know, for the ones that the kids that grow up where, you know, one comes to mind, you know, when your parents are, you know, emotionally stunted, or, you know, when they're not when you feel more mature than your parent does. I mean, this happens all and that's why I think this model works really well, because for parents to be able to recognize that they're not broken, they just haven't learned it yet, you know, and so it's sort of one of these things for parents, if they're willing to look at themselves and realize we're all works in progress, we're all trying just to do our very best. Sometimes we haven't been given those tools earlier on. So it's never too late. And the beautiful part is that when even when one of the things that I really like is parents, you know, there's a lot of parenting sort of strategies out there. And, and parents are made to feel like if they're not you know, batting a hundred, they're somehow failing. And the beautiful part about conscious parenting and being able to really um, tap into that is the ability to recognize that you're going to make mistakes too. 
The ability to apologize, which I have found is a quite a phenomenon that not a lot of people know how to do. A true apology. I'm sorry. Two words. And so being able to go back to the kids and say, you know what? I messed that up. I was not the best version of myself in that moment. And I'm truly sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I shouldn't have said what I said. And the ability to go back, that is a beautiful gift that you are giving your kids because they will then in turn be able to do the same. If you're yelling and screaming and carrying on, the kid's looking at you going, if my parent can't figure this out, there's no chance that I have. And so essentially, that's why I like this model about working with parents. Um, and in, in addition, in an ideal scenario, it's kind of like school. You know, the ideal situation is when you have parents, teachers, administrators, and kids all working together in partnership. It breaks down if the teacher's not um, that communicative or the administration isn't supportive of the teachers or the parent is absent. But when all the cogs on the wheel are working together, it that's really when you get the um, you know the best outcomes. Uh, so it's and it's the same here. So I really believe in that where parents being able to to get these tools and it's really neat because it's a bonding experience. These parents learn with their kids. It's not me telling. It's like, hey, kid. I'm also learning. I'm also on this journey. I didn't, I don't know how to parent all the time. So I'm on this journey with you and I'm learning as well. And we'll help each other and keep each other in check. That's really empowering because then the kids, again, feel very much like they're part of a team rather than it's somebody always sort of dictating to them about what they should or shouldn't do. Well, I, I think that's so true. And I think uh, children are always delighted when adults apologize to them. I'm always amazed at how important that is for them, that they feel very empowered and they feel like a very big person, an important person when an adult apologizes to a child. But I think you're also conveying to, to children that they don't have to be perfect either. You know, we can lecture and lecture them about, you know, everybody makes mistakes, mistakes. But when they see mommy fall apart or daddy fall apart, when they make a mistake, the, the words are overridden by the experience. So I think your point is, is such an important one. I wanted sometimes to. Sometimes I think, sorry, Jay, I was just going to no. say one other thing, too, where it's like, you know, sometimes parents feel that they have to, you know, present themselves as perfect. They can't show that they're upset or that they're sort of made of armor and that nothing penetrates or that they've got it all together or they don't feel that's not real. That's not showing your child, you know, that life sometimes happens and sometimes it can be overwhelming for me as well. And this is how I'm going to deal with it, you know, or if I might sit down and cry and get upset about that's okay. It's showing your kids that this is life. Um, and this is and it's because I don't know at some certain points it happens differently for different kids, but they realize you know, that moment where they're like, whoa, my parents aren't like superheroes. They they don't have it all together. But it's kind of this idea that for a long time you do. You look up at your parents and you think they have it all figured out. And then there's this realization at some point uh, that they don't because they're human like everybody. And the other part that I wanted to mention is also, you know, being very aware as a parent to say, you know, when you're employing some of these things, it's like, you know, we talk a lot about it's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake. You know, I want you to come and tell me the truth. I don't want you to lie to me. 
then the child does come and tell them the truth and then they get in trouble for it. <laughs> so right. it becomes as they were, it's like, well, wait a second, this doesn't work. I'm not going to come tell you the truth anymore. If you're going to really flip out about it or get, doesn't mean that you can't sit down and have a consequence later. If it's something that the kid's confessing to that they might've done, that's not great. It that, that doesn't, but at first it's like, Hey, thank you so much for coming and being honest with me. I'm really proud of you. And you know, everyone makes mistakes and that's okay. And then it doesn't become a punishment because you do make a mistake because we all do it. So it's well, and that, and that takes us back again, full circle to the idea that if parents are willing to be human and willing to make mistakes and willing to be vulnerable in front of their children, the children learn that it actually is okay to do that. I've had so many parents who the children can quite see that they're vulnerable and that they've made mistakes, but the parents will look the kid right in the eye and tell them they didn't see what they saw. (laughs) They're so fragile and vulnerable (laughs) that they literally will, you know, say to a child, no, that isn't what happened. And of course, as a parent, when you do that, you lose a lot of credibility. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And the parents that think that they don't need to apologize to their kids, um, or any kid for that matter, because they think that there's somehow that, you know, a hierarchy that prevents right. them or, or precludes them from having to apologize, you know, and that's really, really detrimental. Yes, the, the, the fear that it takes away from their adult status when in fact, it it, it, it absolutely enhances it. You you brought in uh, just briefly, I think they're operating from that place of, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, finish, please finish. I was just going to say that the often where they're you know, it's a reflective piece again, because it comes back to the idea of what is the purpose of my parenting? And if you're coming at the purpose of parenting to try to control your kid, tell them what to do all the time, that that is your job. That is where the shift, you know, can happen. Because if you're coming at it from viewing this as a relationship that needs to be nurtured, and that these kids are empowered by looking and seeing and doing and and working collaboratively with the parents, that's where the beautiful com- that comes from. You know, like that's where the connection comes from. If you're constantly, if you feel that you are, you know, you need to control your child or that you have to, obviously we all need to, you know, tell our kids what to do every once in a while. It's not like, this is not about free parenting where the kids get to do whatever they want. There are definitely both sides to this where there's consequences, there's limits that need to be set. You know, there's the loving connection piece. There's the honoring of mistakes. There's a whole bunch of different things to it. But ultimately, if you're coming at it from a place of control, I can tell you that it's often a losing battle because nobody wants to be controlled. Nobody wants to be told what to do 24-7. You can work collaboratively. You'll get a lot further. Yes, I agree with that. You alluded uh, just briefly uh, a few minutes ago to to teachers and administrators at school. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that in terms of the kind of work that you do with educators. Is it similar to the work that you do with parents? Are there are, are these things uh, replicable in the classroom as they as they are in the home? Absolutely. I mean, the idea that, you know, I was trained sort of under the connected parenting uh, methodology, which is an example of conscious parenting. So it's it's one example of many that are out there. 
that really kind of look at these different tenets that I've talked about. And even though I always say, and I joke with people saying, I, I know it's called connected parenting, but really it should just be called connected humans. Because right. when you when you actually do some of these things and you connect to the person at the grocery store who clearly is having a bad day and you just are like, hey, you know, and say something to them where they kind of feel like, oh, I'm seen and heard, you know, that is where the trajectory just changes. So although obviously when you're working with a parent and a child one-on-one, that impact is a lot different. Teachers have oftentimes 25, 30, sometimes 35 students in a class. So the dynamics at play are obviously very different than you would have in a family home, but the ideas and the sort of the strategies are very much the same. If you take, for example, that kid that always behaves, you know, and is acting out in class and you and every day you come into that classroom and you're like, oh, I wonder what so-and-so is going to do today. And you're sort of, you know, oh, they're going to get kicked out. They're going to go to the principal's office. You know, they're going to do something that's really going to tick me off when you're operating from the place of wanting to always look at the behavior and not the reason behind the behavior that is kind of the, again, that is the shifting. That's the the turning point for teachers. When you can delve deeper and in, in sort of that iceberg model that we've seen before, where it's sort of like the tip of the iceberg, where you see what's going on, the, the kids behaving and, and acting out in class, but there's a whole bunch of reasons underneath the that surface of the water, you know, that that is is kind of their way of communicating to you. And so, you know, it only takes one teacher to be able to connect with that kid and and be able to look at them and say, hey, you know, instead of kicking them out of class and sending them to the principal's office, you pull them outside, be like, what's going on? You know, and being able to talk to them and sit down and get to the bottom of it because there's a reason behind kids' behavior. Punishing their behavior is is really futile. But when you can get to the bottom and figure out the reasons behind the behavior with these kids, um, it can complete and it will obviously change the dynamics in your classroom. And I always say this to teachers because we you know, we do workshops with teachers as well and kind of looking at these different things. September or most September or at least part of September, just get to know your kids because it, and I know that there's a curriculum to teach and I know that there are high pressures for teachers but I can tell you that the return on that investment that you spend in the classroom with just getting to know each kid, knowing their background, knowing what they love, what they don't love, what they you know enjoy about school, what they don't, it will completely change your year. And I wish that every single school did that, where it was like September is not about learning academics. It's just about learning learning how to be human and learning about the humans in your class. Um, so absolutely, this can be, I, you know, as I said, I'd like to coin a new term of like connected humans, because that's really what this is about. Well, I appreciate that. And I think I think the teachers listening will as well. Although sometimes I feel teachers feel very put upon these days in terms of uh, their responsibilities regarding mental health and teaching mental health and looking after the children's social emotional needs. I've had many parent teachers say to me and very legitimately, you know, I, I chose to be an educator. I, I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I don't, I don't really think that that's my job. What, what do you say to a teacher who quite rightly <laughs> brings that perspective? 
I, I agree with it. And I, and that's why I say, you know, I think teaching is probably one of the hardest jobs because you are balancing, you, you are literally getting the gamut of, you know, all different kinds of kids and learning styles and, and, and requirements and accommodations and oftentimes operating with a huge lack of resources. So I recognize all that. What I would say that is hopefully inspiring to teachers is the fact that kids learn. If the goal is to have kids learn, they learn much better when they have a deep connection to their teacher, when they have a deep connection with each other. So if your goal is to learn, spending and even a, a fumbled effort <laughs> trying to, if it's new to you and trying to do some of these exercises with the kids just to get to know them, if it's new, even a fumbled effort is better than no effort. And so if the goal ultimately is to learn, it will be a much better payoff just to spend that little bit of time with them. And I also say, because it is a high pressure, a lot of the times you have parents who have very high expectations as to what the role of the teacher is. And they aren't, they do expect them to be all of the things you mentioned previously. And it's sort of one of those things that you can't please all people all the time. And if you come back to it where it's, you know, just learning maybe what some of the signs and symptoms might be of some of a child that's struggling. You don't have to be all of those things, right? And I know it's hard because it's hard to, to drown out the noise and the expectations of parents, especially when they're calling and writing <laughs> and they have your phone number, so they're calling you all the time. All of these things are really difficult to manage, of course, and I recognize that. But then it kind of brings it back to you and what is your role? And if and as, as far as, you know, you're not supposed to be a therapist, but knowing what some of these that you could completely change you know, how the outcome for that kid being able to recognize, hey, that kid seems struggling, simply having a conversation and making sure that kid feels that they were seen and heard that it, that in its simplicity can just change the whole dynamic that you have with that child. Well, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I believe very strongly in it. So <laughs> I can I can tell you do. And I'm so grateful for your time today. I think that the advice and the tips and the approach that you've outlined for us is helpful to, to everybody. As you say, human connection is something that we all need every day. And uh, these kinds of uh, insights and kinds of tools are applicable to all of us every day. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Ulrika. Well, thank you, Janet. I really appreciated having a chat with you today. Uh, and thanks for having me on your podcast. I think Ulrika really provided a whole lot of great ideas for parents and teachers. And I especially liked her idea about human connection. That's it for this time. I'm Janet Morrison. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.